On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Mark Cole, who is the lead of AT's Cares in Wisconsin, and I got introduced to Mark at our most recent state association meeting, where he had a talk uh, that he was supposed to give with a colleague, which he talks about, uh, who was unable to attend, but the talk was Embracing the Awkward, and it was talking about asking the hard questions when it comes to mental health. And if someone is having thoughts of suicide, uh, it was a fantastic talk. Lots of really good takeaways from it. And so we asked Mark to come on and just highlight a little bit more about that. And really he did a, what I thought was a great job of talking about the AT's role in mental health because it can become very slippery slope very quickly. And we are all out there trying to help people and do that to the best of our abilities, but that can also lead us into some areas that could potentially get a little troublesome for us in terms of overreaching or going beyond our own scope, uh, however you, you see that. So a lot of good information in this one. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. If you are going to NATA in a couple weeks, they have a lot of things they are launching. Stop by their booth. They'll be happy to see you, happy to talk to you. Unfortunately, we won't be there this year um, to check it out, uh, but hopefully the next year as things keep coming back to normal for all of us. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Mark Cole. Well, welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Dr. Mark Cole, who is an athletic trainer in the state of Wisconsin, um, who heads up the AT's Cares um, in Wisconsin. And I got to listen uh, to him speak at our annual meeting uh, back in April, which is now a month ago. Uh, wow, how time flies. But uh, the talk was on embracing the awkward and I was curious about it as it was anyway and it was around mental health um suicide awareness how to work with that and so such an important topic um we've been fortunate enough in places I've worked to have people that are really invested in learning about it and teaching about that and I just thought this was a great um presentation so I wanted to have him on the podcast uh so here we are um but before we get into kind of in talking about all that I wanted to turn it over to you to kind of fill in your background and how you are where you are and came to you know giving that talk and we'll go from there sure thanks Joel thanks for having me I appreciate it I'm excited to be here uh yeah so we uh we met in uh, April um when we were doing a, a workshop, uh, again, embracing the awkward, a colleague of mine, Mary LaRue at UW Stout and I put this together, uh, two, two and a half years ago, right before the start of the pandemic, sure. um, because we both, uh, saw the need that, um, behavioral health, mental health awareness, suicide awareness in particular, but sort of that whole ball of, of behavioral health skills and um, knowledge just wasn't being addressed. It's, uh, it's not a, a strength 
both she and I sort of independently felt like, you know, this is not something that athletic trainers are, are super strong at. Um, and we both have worked in athletic training curriculum programs and, and seen the standards and reviewed the standards when we were talking. And, you know, the, the standards are a little thin when it comes to BH, if you compare them to uh, musculoskeletal uh, or general med. Um, and so we came up with this sort of research plan and um, took it to WADA, who was kind enough to fund us to get some training to take this out. And so we're coming up uh, on a pandemic delayed year long cycle of offering these workshops around the state of Wisconsin to athletic trainers and athletic training students to kind of build up what we think of as their psychosocial skills. Um, and so Mary and I both kind of came to this knowledge or to this place very similarly. She and I are both of a certain age, if you will, who did undergrad and graduate school as athletic trainers and practiced in um, high school, college, clinic, a little pros. I did some Olympic work, um, lots of different settings. And both of us independently came to similar conclusions that uh, while we felt pretty good in, in handling athletes from the neck down, we were not good at injuries um, that happened in the neck up. Uh, and that includes concussion, but concussion certainly has a whole lot of, of champions on its own. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's broader than that. It's everything from, you know, domestic difficulty or coach conflict to you know, anxiety over return after my surgery and, and those things and, and everything in between. Um, and again, we're of a certain age, we didn't get that training. We both got minimal psychology training as, as um, students. So she and I independently went back to school and both ended up getting uh, doctoral degrees in some version of sports psychology. She did it straight on mental health in athletes. I did it more on athletes and emotions, but we came together afterwards kind of around this topic um, because both of us wanted to improve our behavioral health skills. That's why we went back to school, but then we sort of made it our, our missions thereafter in jobs to, to make sure these skills get incorporated for students uh, both athletic training and any student uh, we touch in the exercise sciences. So that's kind of where it came from. Thank you for that summary. Um, I guess the first question is, you know, we've mentioned embracing the awkward a couple of times. How would you best define it? Because when I just saw it on the list, you know, without digging into it, I was like, this could go a lot of different, <laughs> different yeah. ways um, in, in our, in our profession. So um, how would you yep. um, define it, if you would? Sure. Well, you know, we had to have a catchy title. We had to, you know, pull, pull participants in. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, and really, the, the title comes from it's centered uh, off of a simple uh, PSA that the government put out about um, those awkward moments where you sense something's not right with a friend or uh, acquaintance or what have you, and there's that pause. And you have thoughts going through your head, they have thoughts going through their head, but nothing's said. And we both really like that because as athletic trainers, we have this privilege of being close to athletes and patients and clients in 
um, you know, one-on-one settings and difficult subjects come up. And uh, again, going back to, we didn't really feel like we were well-trained in how to handle those. So um, when we came across the PSA, it kind of the title wrote itself and the PSA basically says um, uh, that when that awkward moment happens, take the initiative to say, hey, Joel, you don't seem like your normal self. Is there something going on? A real simple, polite, hey, I care about you and you seem like you're struggling type of question that is frankly enough to get the ball rolling around someone opening up about how they're feeling or a struggle that they're having that for whatever reason, they maybe haven't um, been willing to share or, or haven't shared yet. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to be here because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So happy Mental Health Awareness. Um, and actually it's also Resilient Wisconsin Month. So there, there's uh, clearly a push for behavioral health and mental health awareness now. We've got, I had some questions, you know, about the role of the athletic trainer in it. I think we'll kind of jump into that because I think some of the other questions might come out of it. Um, I think I'll just start with, you know, what do you see? And I know this is something you kind of, you addressed um, in your talk. Obviously, other, everybody listening wasn't there for, but what, what do you see as the AT's role in it now, based off of what you're I might have a few more specific questions after yeah, that because sure. I know that's something that having been in a leadership position in the past, you know, where does it start? Where does it end? You, you see some ATs, you know, on social media that have different takes on it and yep. it, it can lead a lot of different ways. Sure. Yeah. It's a, um, it's an interesting situation. Um, again, you know, our background, not really getting a lot of training. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty honest with folks. I frankly avoided psychology at all costs as an undergrad. Um, and I just found out that I was seeing a lot more people for problems in the neck up than the neck down. And so I figured I, I needed to better serve my patients and clients. Um, but the, the AT's role, I think, is to understand that crises, psychosocial, physical crises, those are normal. They're expected. They're, um, if you will, from a physical standpoint, they're job security. That's why we're there. We prefer to prevent if we could, um, but they happen. You know, ankles get twisted, knees get twisted, shoulders get dislocated. Um, and unfortunately, there are behavioral health components where you know bad things happen to good people and we we can't mistakenly i had tried to separate those we can't separate those you know we operate now in healthcare under what's called the biopsychosocial model that our biology is connected to our psychology which is connected to society um, and our social determinants of health are supposed to account for 60 plus percent of our healthcare outcomes so our access to care, our ability to read, to transportation, employment are big, big factors that, you know, we don't really address as athletic training. We're sort of more interested in the, the hands-on piece. Um, so uh, where does the athletic trainer start and where does their role? Um, I think we have come to the somewhat realization that it's not an avoidable role. Um, and 
again, a little bit of an ageism here, but I think we're both a little bit of the age that, you know, if you don't want to handle behavioral health, then either you need to find someone who will handle it for you, or perhaps this isn't the right field for you any longer. Um, because we're not just because of the pandemic, but there, it's such a prevalent issue amongst patients, clients, athletes at all levels, you just can't get away from it. Right. Um, so, you know, in the same breath, we have limits to our ability, right? We have a, in Wisconsin, we have you know, limited scope of practice. And what we don't want to do is say that athletic trainers should be doing therapy and counseling and all that. That's no, that is not the message that, that we want to get across. Um, but what we want to do is we want to take the field and help them slowly walk a little closer towards being that um, compassionate caregiver and who can help someone who's in crisis and, and not make it a black or white situation where I either am going to do therapy or I'm not going to do anything, right? There's a lot of gray in the center there. So um, getting back to, to that, it's about taking that awkward moment and saying, you know, getting that answer of, yes, I am struggling. So now what do you do with it, right? When I ask you that, hey, you don't seem yourself, Joel, and you say, yeah, I'm having a really hard time with my family life or it looks like I'm not going to have a job or, you know, COVID's got me down and I'm really anxious about getting the disease and those things, then what, right? I mean, being a good friend or a, a good professional, I got you to open up. Now what? Mm -hmm. And I would wager that 90 odd percent of your listeners have a really detailed emergency action plan for when a C-spine injury happens or when a femur fracture happens um, and how the ambulance gets into the facility and who meets them and all that. Um, and I would also wager a lot of money that most of us don't have an emergency action plan for when someone's in mental health crisis, when they are, um, you know, stating that they're going to take their life or um, kill themselves or kill someone else. Um, or, you know, they're really exhibiting this sort of decompensation because of the stressors in their lives, that we don't have a plan for that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the niche, I think, that we're hoping that we can help athletic trainers navigate so that they don't get caught uh, on their heels in those types of situations. Maybe they'll never have to use that emergency action plan, right? We, sure. we, build, we build those EAPs all the time, hoping we never use them. Absolutely. So kind of two scenarios, just building off what we talked about. You know, one, uh, you talked, in, again, in your talk, uh, you know, at a previous I believe previous role that you had, you know, you had found kind of the way of, you know, if you identified something there, you were able to address it and then get to the person that they needed. Um, and I'd love for you to talk more about just that for those people sure. that do have those resources. And then we'll kind of come back to a lot of people, you know, secondary school athletic trainers, yeah. small college, you know, athletic trainers that don't have access to you know those mental health professionals on campus just some other options there because I know sure. I have found myself as I'm sure a lot of people can relate to where I've probably gone too far in trying to be helpful right 
not because I was pretending to be a mental health counselor, but just felt like I had to do it. Yeah, that's tough. And where, you know, and where that kind of puts you know, the athletic trainer in a really tough position. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand where, where you're going. And I think it is scalable for uh, a high resource facility down to a, a, a low resource uh, athletic trainer. Um, you know, we talked about uh, a situation where I had a conversation with our athletic department and there was a desire. It was, it was interesting. And I think this is a pretty common experience. Um, there's a desire from athletics to do performance enhancement psychology, which is great. It's fun. Yep. That's what I went to school for. Love doing that. Enjoy it. Um, but that's kind of a thinly veiled conversation and a cry for help saying that we have behavioral health problems mm -hmm. and it's impacting our athletes performance. And what that means then is it's not necessarily about goal setting and anxiety reduction or competition anxiety and, and things like that. It's that we have very anxious athletes. We have a host of depressed athletes. We have um, unmonitored bipolar disorder. Uh, I mean, you name it, um, it, it goes through there. And that situation happened. And, and so we, I kind of naively started building this performance psychology program, but wanted to have an outlet when these clinical concerns came up, because I knew they would come up. I just mm -hmm. wasn't sure the frequency. So we reached out to our campus uh, counseling center and that's when the rumors or not the rumors, but that's when I started hearing rumblings that, Hey, we, we have a bigger issue than we are, are thinking um, because our, our counselors on campus were like, Oh, thank goodness. Finally, athletics is starting to realize that there are issues. And, and they shared um, both stories about volume and severity and pervasiveness of behavioral health problems within our student athletes. Um, and so we really quickly kind of bonded with that counseling service. And I, having worked a little bit with counselors in the past, I knew that they're really vigilant about that confidentiality mm -hmm. uh, fencing. And they should be. That's, that's where all your confidence is based from a, a patient standpoint. And so up front, I was really clear to them. I said, I don't necessarily want to know a patient's status, what you're seeing them for, unless there uh, is a threat to themselves or to another, frankly, you're the pros. And when, when I make that referral to you, I'm done. The only thing I ask, and this really showed, I think, the strength of our relationship was, I need you to help me sleep at night. So if I make that referral, I would really appreciate just knowing that that athlete showed up for their appointment. I don't need to know that they stayed. Maybe they checked in and bailed. Um, I definitely don't need to know diagnosis, disposition, any of that stuff, unless, you know, obviously someone is, is threatened to be harmed, right? Sure. But just that little bit, and they're like, oh, well, we can do that. You know, Mark showed up for his appointment. Okay, great. That's all I needed. Um, if I didn't walk them down to that health center, right, where I physically saw them, and I knew they checked in, and then I walked away. Yep. Um, 
And that was really helpful to me that closed the loop on both accountability and responsibility. Because once I became aware of something, um, then I felt like, you know, I had to see it through to some end point. And I think that's where you're getting at is, okay, when do I exit that situation? Because at some point I really need to uh, for my own mental health as well. So that relationship was really good. Um, probably one of the key points of that relationship was in talking to him and, and saying, okay, well, let's hypothetically have this athlete who's in crisis, has indicated a desire to kill themselves or uh, harm someone else. How do I get them in to see you? Because they were very, very tight in appointments. Mm-hmm. And I learned about something called the crisis appointment surprise that mental health professionals, at least in this facility, have um, what they call a crisis appointment. They have a counselor of the day. And they said, all you have to do is call and say, hi, this is Mark. I have someone that needs to see the counselor of the day. And if you say crisis appointment or counselor of the day, those sort of two buzz phrases, we get it. And, and that counselor of the day, their schedule is purposely light. So they'll drop everything when a crisis arises. And I can't tell you, I still feel relief telling that story to this day because that's so powerful. Um, I mean, sometimes folks need to go to the emergency room and, you know, 911 is is your best option. I understand that. But I don't want to be known as the person that calls 911 every time you you come in to talk to me about some sort of behavioral health piece. Um, And so realizing that we had that system, that they had shared it with me, I had access to it. And I unfortunately had to use it fairly soon after that. It worked like a charm. And it really gave me a lot of confidence when I was talking to someone who was struggling. And I said, you know, this is outside of my realm. I I need you to talk to some professionals, some friends of mine who are really pros at this. Um, Would you be willing to do that? And I was able to kind of, you know, honestly make that, um, almost sales pitch to the individuals I was working with because I did develop a friendship with those colleagues. We, they were professionals at that. Um, And so it just, I think that was uh, a wonderful step for us in that program. The other side of that coin is that um, we learned that our student athletes were averaging about uh two suicide attempts a month uh yeah in a a small program of about 400 athletes and so once we learned that then sort of the the focus of the program quickly changed it went from performance psychology focus to sort of a mental health focus Uh, again I'm not doing therapy. My colleagues who are working with me, none of us were, were clinicians. We were all sort of performance psychology trained. And so we had to really rely on this referral network. Um, and so within 15 months, we were averaging between the three of us at least one referral to the crisis referral to the counseling center a month. So three a month. Um, We just had a lot of mental health concerns um, within our student population at the time. And when I talked to the counselors about it, they, A, assured me that, duh, they knew it was happening, (laughs) unfortunately. 
they were really happy that these folks were getting help, but it also mirrored the college student population at large. Uh, if anything, it was a little bit more than college students because as a student athlete, you have a couple more stresses than sure. uh, the average biology major. Um, but I think that's a, a measure of success, uh, although it definitely caught us off guard in terms of what do we think we're going to be doing, you know, a year from now once this program's up and rolling. Um, I said, or I started this conversation saying, I think that's scalable. Um, because yeah, not everybody has a counseling center on campus, um, but I equate it back to the conversation we've all had and probably all given um, peers about EMS. You know, you, you have to have a contact with EMS before the first football season or the first football game, I should say. You don't wanna have the meet and greet at the 50 yard line during the fourth quarter when you're playing your arch rival. Right. You need to have gone in in advance, maybe showed them a new helmet you guys have, brought some pads in, talked about access and keys and what roles are and all that stuff. That's pretty much ingrained in all of us, I hope. Um, that's how we should practice. I think we need to do the exact same thing for behavioral health. Um, talking to your school counselor, your school guidance counselor, if you're in a secondary school or even a, a middle school or elementary, oftentimes they have uh, school counselors there who have a background working in uh, behavioral health. And if not them, then talk to a community member who is a licensed practitioner and just introduce yourself, explain, you know, this is the role I'm in. Um, I'm not 100% sure how to handle these. Um, I think, you, <clears throat> excuse me, your supervising or team physician can certainly connect you with someone. But again, you know, they're not always, um, I can tell an anecdote about one of my athletic directors, but sometimes those folks in charge don't see psychology and, and psychosocial care as within our realm. Um, and that's fine if they don't see that, but you're still going to see it as a patient. So you have to find a way through that. Um, and so, you know, reaching out to members of the community and developing that relationship, just like you have a relationship probably with an ortho, maybe a podiatrist, a couple family docs, maybe you have a women's health relationship in town. Why don't we have a counselor relationship um, or, or something? So at the very least, you can call a peer and say, hey, Judy or Dr. Smith, I had this athlete talk to me about this today and I'm suspicious of this. How do I act? You know, what should I say? How do I do this? They're minors, right? If you're in the high school. Um, so they'll be really cognizant of this is a minor. Here are the legal challenges. Here's the confidentiality issues. So don't do it alone. That's, I think, the biggest piece is you cannot do it alone. And, you know, the way currently the way Katie has our um, educational standards set up, you know, our psychosocial skills, are, they're pretty thin. There's really about three, three and a half of the standards are dedicated to this out of, I think, 92 um, compared to, you know, how many we get for gen med and, and musculoskeletal issues. So uh, I think, you know, starting with your resources, um, in a, a school district, usually there's some sort of guidance counselor. You can start there. Um, 
but then also reaching out to the, the clinicians in the area, or if you're part of a healthcare system, sure. you know, who's your director of behavioral services? Start there. What do we do? What's, what's a plan going to look like? Can you help us design this plan? I think that's great advice. And I appreciate you kind of covering the gamut of the different things that the previous role I was in, we were very fortunate to have a counseling and testing center on campus that had, you know, they called it urgent care hours, very similar awesome. to you. Yeah. yeah. That we utilized a couple of different times. Uh, but yeah, and that was all, we were fortunate compared to even people within our own conference that didn't have that type of set up. Uh, so it, it made our life a lot easier um, to get people where they needed to be. It's fantastic. One other kind of question I had, and it kind of tied a little bit into this, the previous example of, you know, if the AT wanting, you know, that's in the nature of the profession to be helpful and want to be there and do all the things. And that's also been kind of a definition of the profession is, you know, we do so much that, right. you know, you just, you take on another thing. Cause that, you know, that especially in secondary school where you're might be one of two, if not the only access to some version of healthcare that people have uh, the idea of compassionate resilience mm-hmm. and how to build that in because that can be a hard thing. This is going to sound a little crass. Like I found eventually found in my career, how to leave work at work. And that was yep. more when I say that the injury report or the hamstring strain that wasn't getting better and all oh, coaches frustrated, you know, that type of stuff, but not necessarily some of these other things, which I've just seen from people sharing stories on social media and whatnot, that it's not as easy to do as it is to say. So if you could elaborate on sure. compassionate resilience and any other thoughts around that. Sure. So compassionate resilience comes out of a, a presentation that Mary and I went to um, put on in part by Children's Hospital and Rogers Memorial Hospital um, in the Milwaukee area. And Rogers had this safe person program, this wise safe person program, which compassionate resilience was a keystone of it. And the idea behind compassionate resilience, um, it may even sound a little overused today because we've been through the pandemic and probably a lot of us have, have been paying attention to how healthcare workers feel burned out. But this was definitely a, a program that was getting uh, its foothold prior to the pandemic. Um, that's my disclaimer, I guess. Um, but really, compassion and re- resilience is this ability to give of oneself and help others. All right. So there's the compassionate piece while preserving our own inner strength and capability or capacity to maintain health and wellness of ourselves, right? So giving while maintaining our roots. Um, And that's the challenge I think, uh, certainly COVID and the pandemic has has challenged a lot of healthcare workers. Uh, We in AT's Care had an early conversation when the pandemic hit because social media, we were seeing just horrific accounts from healthcare workers out on the East Coast as um, the pandemic blossomed there. They were just, you know, they were watching colleagues die left and right. And, and, you know, it was an enormous strain. And how do you balance that? How do you leave work at work? And even though this is someone's major life crisis, you step away and, and you go to do you, right? Um, and that is a, it's a balancing act. It's, it's not something I think 
we, uh, I don't think it's something that we necessarily train into ourselves pretty well. We probably train the opposite. Like you mentioned, the jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'll take care of that. I'm here for you. I got this, you know, that's wonderful. But um, at some point we have to take care of the caregiver. Um, And so compassionate resilience comes out of, of that sense that um, you can, only do so much and you have to know when to say when. Uh, And I think that is a a real challenge for athletic trainers, especially starting out because you definitely want to make a good impression and, and you, you know, want to be there for folks. Um, But in the same breath, you, um, you need to set boundaries. I think we, I think it's a little bit of a culture change. I, I think the, the younger generation of athletic trainers that are the young professionals that are just coming up that I work with, I think are moving in the right direction about setting boundaries and saying no and having some measure more so than I ever did as a, as a new, new grad um, of, of limits that they place on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that that continues. And I think it's okay if we, you know, take a little heat for setting boundaries because I think it's good for us in the long run. Um, how much is too much? You know, I think that depends on the person. I, sure. I think I can point out a lot of examples of things I've seen athletic trainers do um, that I, what I'm not comfortable with. Um, you know, making an athlete with a suspected eating disorder instead of going to the counselor, seeking medical attention, you know, making sure they come in every day before practice and eat a banana in front of you. I mean, I, I think we've crossed a line there, right? Sure, and we're sure. taking on responsibility for that person's nutrition. Clearly, when eating disorders are very complex and multifaceted, mm-hmm. uh, you know, those types of things. And, and there's a balance also in being a confidant, right? I was working with some students yesterday and a student, you know, essentially asked, okay, if you have a conflict uh, between two athletes, what's your role? And I'm like, uh, you're there for both of them separately, right? You need to be, that's your job. And if it's, if it conflicts with your personal values, well, Either maybe your values need to change or your employment setting. <laughs> it's no one said it's an easy job. It's definitely not. Um, but learning to say no and, and setting those boundaries, I think, is, is super important. Um, I think educating ourselves in terms of, you know, when I look at the holistic career path um, and, and educational program that we go through, I know when I came out, I felt weak in certain areas and my attitude, which is not everyone's, um, my attitude is to go at my weaknesses. Um, I rely on my strengths, but I highlight my weaknesses and then I focus on those. So if you come out and you feel like psychosocial skills are not something that you really got a lot of attention and experience with, then connect with that mental health professional or that behavioral health service lead or someone in the community asked to do some observation hours or talk, talk or develop a mentorship um, or come to a course, right? And we've got plenty of CEUs that we have to earn every year, right? For sure. Um, I think that the second piece is that, you know, Neil published a couple articles in 2013 and 2015 
around building a mental health act, emergency action plan for college and secondary schools. Those are, I mean, the work's essentially done for us there. Uh, use those, build all out of them or build out from them, I should say. You know, blame it on him <laughs> for building those uh, as sort of the standard and just say, hey, this is what the research says. I need to do this. And then he'll point you at those directions to, to kind of get people connected and, and build stuff out and, and you'll learn along the way. Um, and then ultimately when something happens, not if, but when, share it with someone in a confidential professional manner. But one thing that I always tell folks is you can never solve these alone. If you're unsure about something, then you probably need to bounce it off of someone and someone else needs to know that you're dealing with this because they're complex, they're powerful situations. Um, and so if you are trying to grow in this area, share it with your colleagues, your classmates, your supervisor. Hey, I'm trying to get better at this. And I've got this situation that just came up. And what do you think? Um, so, you know, sharing those stories and concerns and that's the best way. I mean, I was never absolutely not prepared to deal with suicide or eating disorders when I graduated with my master's. And sure enough, I had both of them in one athlete that first season. And it was, uh, whew, it was tough. It was tough. Nothing prepared me for that. Right. Um, and so you have to rely on your resources then. You have to connect. Anything else around this that we haven't covered? I was just kind of going through our notes. I feel like we yeah. kind of hit on everything, but just wanted to make sure because uh, this this has been a great overview and highlighted everything that I kind of took away from your embracing the awkward talk, but thought that was important to just hear it from another AT. You know that yeah. there is the role, but there's limits and boundaries to that role. Too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really, I took that to heart when you, you kind of fed me some of that. And, you know, I sum up our role as be prepared. Okay. Expect these crises to happen because these crises are normal. Each mm -hmm. one of us has been in a crisis and each one of those crises means something different to us. Right. So a crisis for a 17 year old high school lacrosse player is going to be different than a 37 year old marketing director. Right. But, every one of us deals with crises. So be prepared and expect them to happen. Rehearse your response. So that goes back to the EAP piece. Also be suspicious. Um, if, if you're listening to this and you're surprised that there's a psychological component to injury or illness, then th there's, a, a, there's an element of learning that needs to happen because we should be suspicious for the psychological component of all injuries, all illnesses, because it's very real. The brain is connected to the rest of our body. Um, and so be suspicious of that and wary when, when comments maybe don't quite align with what you think. Um, I mentioned SDOH earlier, social determinants of health. Um, be cognizant of those. Uh, I can tell you that I know of at least uh, one program that uh, does survey their athletes of, around SDOH and behavioral health. Um, and I also know that program does nothing with that material. Um, 
And so it's kind of like, well, don't ask it just to ask it and generate some paper, right? Ask right. it and, and get some follow-ups there um, because otherwise there's really no reason to ask, right? Um, the One of the key points of sort of embracing the awkward uh, conversation or workshop is to ask the question, you know, is everything okay? And then follow that up through the suicide gatekeeper training with asking the blunt specific question of, are you thinking about killing yourself? Non-judgmental, but blunt. Ask the question. You can't go wrong asking the question. You can maybe ask it in better ways than others uh, without sure. the judgment piece, but asking that question, um, it was really eye-opening for me when I developed that relationship with the counselors that that's a, a tough question for most of us to ask. But for them, they ask it every day at every appointment. It literally rolls off their tongue. And so it will get better with practice the more you ask. And it's okay to be wrong. You know, someone says, no, I'm just going through a hard time. Okay, great. Glad to hear that. Move it on. Um, so be suspicious. Ask the question. If they come back, yes. Try to persuade them that life is worth living and then refer to your resources. So that goes back to preparation. Yep. Such a key point there, that preparation piece. Of, and so you're not trying to build a plan as it's actually unfolding in front of well, you. Yeah. I mean, we do it so naturally with so many other things, right? Yep. I mean, your kid is stocked and you think to yourself, God, I got to restock because I used a bunch of stuff last night. You're being prepared. Same thing. Restock your psycho psychosocial kit. I like that. I think that could be it. That's a very implementable idea when you phrase it that way. So there you go. Um, anything else before we jump into the athletic training chat questions? Uh, real quick, you asked about some recommendations. You know, how you, can you stock your kit? Uh, we use yeah. at my office, we use 211.org a lot. I love 211.org. It is, it's a website and you know works on your phone it literally has assistance for darn near everything it's, it's kind of organized around the sdoh factors but it does mental health and crisis it does health care but it also does employment literacy transportation all that other stuff um, you can't go wrong with s or with uh, 211.org uh, specific to suicide the national suicide hotline there's some cool news coming out i hate to hate to preempt this we got another month and a half but the national suicide hotline number is 800-273-8255 or believe it or not 911 works everybody who works at 911 has suicide gatekeeper training but because of the mental health crisis in the united states there is a three-digit number similar to 911 that is expected to go live in july for mental health crisis okay suicide. uh i don't want to say that it's 988, but rumor is it's not quite ready yet. But gotcha. um, that's something the government's pushing that, that they need to have and have it be as pervasive as 911. Awesome. Otherwise, resources folks are always looking SAMHSA, SAMHSA.gov, the CDC, and the Wisconsin Department of Health Services. They're awesome. Appreciate that. We will link all of those up. Yep. Uh, for sure so people can see those ready for those athletic training chat questions fire away yeah here we go uh 
very curious to your take on this one is where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? I had four thoughts on this one, depending on your venue, uh, where you work, your area of practice. I am hopeful that we gain autonomy from collegiate coaches uh, and have medical oversight and responsibilities. I, I hope we can get to the point where coaches ability or right to hire athletic trainers and fire them is not included in their contracts. And we're we're employed um, as a a medical professional. Um, I really hope, and I mentioned this in our workshop that we start stocking naloxone or Narcan in our medical kits because of the opiate, opiate epidemic and our pervasive role um, amongst young people. Um, I think you're gonna see, and again, this is biased because of my setting, third-party reimbursement across all settings for athletic training. Um, payers are really looking for high value providers that can prove their outcomes. And it, it's getting ugly out there in terms of you know, what's an excessive charge and, and are we seeing benefits there? And we're uniquely positioned um, as, a, as a field to do that. And then the last one I think will we'll push that one home and that's freestanding athletic training clinics. Not PT clinics, not rehab clinics, athletic training clinics. I don't necessarily care what they're called Sure. But like a multidisciplinary performance enhancement center run by ATs that, yeah, you do some third party billing, you do some cash for pay. But and you think about, you know, being able to do ortho evaluations there when you bring in an ortho, but also being able to do running evals, mm-hmm. bring a physician in for, you know, that Saturday, Sunday bump clinic, um, but also being able to do nutrition counseling or strength and conditioning. Um, those kind of, I think, um, I, I think I'm as a, like a multiplex for performance. Yeah. I, that would be, you know, and having an athletic trainer run that and be able to approach it from that sports medicine umbrella concept. Oof, I think that's, there's a place for that in the market. I like the sound of that. What advice would you give yourself if you could go back uh, to when you were a younger athletic trainer, and if you want to set the time frame of you know, when you would go back and give that advice, <laughs> Ooh, wow, you know, coming well, straight out of school, yeah, it was 150 years ago, so it's <laughs> kind of hard to remember. Uh, no, I I distinctly remember uh, a graduate student telling me as a senior, they're like, "Trust your instincts, Mark. Don't question yourself." And I didn't listen to him, and I wish I had. Uh, they knew me maybe better than I knew myself at the time. And so I would say, trust your instincts. You've been working towards this career for a long time. Um, Don't question yourself, go with your gut and you know, you're going to make mistakes. That's okay. But go with it. Yep. As long as you're learning from them and not just repeating it. It's an opportunity to learn. You're right. I've gone through that. Uh, circle of everything a few times in myself um <laughs> yeah it's you know i pro- the third one would probably be now that you say that thank you for prompting me is make mistakes 
sure. make, make mistakes, stick your neck out. Don't be risk adverse because if you don't make any mistakes, you're not really learning. And I think this field gets boring really fast if we stop learning. There's a book and I've referenced this multiple times, but I've really liked it. It's called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. She's a professional mm-hmm. poker player and she likens, you know, you're not playing chess or checkers, you're playing checkers or poker because chess is still a game of, you know, you can memorize things. Poker is more representative of life. And she's like, you can make all the right calls and have the highest percentage of that bet working out. And then, you know, it's a 95 to 5% chance of right versus wrong. And you happen to hit that 5%. It doesn't mean it's the wrong decision or a mistake. It just, it did not work out that time. As long as you're able to work yourself through that process and make the best call, it's not that you did it wrong or you were a failure. It just, in that instance, didn't work because there's nothing that's 100% uh, all the time. So uh, that's been an eye-opening thought process for myself. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think that adds a, a, an element of realism where we work with, the, the primary population with, for athletic trainers is a fairly young, fairly healthy group, right? Not, not always. And I think if we sure. get out beyond that, we need to think about what you just said more often. Because, you know, when someone comes in with four, five, eight comorbidities, um, you know, the fact that you're going to be able to alleviate all their pain or the fact that the likelihood that you're going to be able to alleviate all their pains pretty low. Right. You need to make a difference in their lives. And that's really setting the bar considerably lower. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the privilege that we have as athletic trainers of working with a lot of young, healthy people um, that most other healthcare providers don't have. Right. What has been the most influential resource you found in your career? Curiosity. I'm a why guy. Why? why i try not to be a pain in the you know what asking why (laughs) but i ask why a lot why why and i've gotten pulled aside a couple times and they're like you're and i'm i'm just curious not judging why i like it i think that's the first time we've had that but that i that's a very good one i enjoy that um as an at in your role how do you take care of yourself Uh, This is going to sound really, um, I think, probably really dumb, but regular physical activity. Uh, And I say that because I have not been great about uh, being regularly physically active. I actually was um, more active practicing as an athletic trainer day in and day out than when I really moved into academics. And I was never a really lean person at all. And I didn't, because I was active as an AT, I didn't necessarily have to do. Sure. I chose not to do a lot of extra physical activity. I, frankly, I just wanted to get away from the gym by the time work was over. And now I'm, for a number of years, have been very sedentary and I hate it. I hate it with a passion. It's one of the reasons I love being AT was because I got to go outside, I got to hang out, I got to demo exercises and challenge myself periodically. And so I've sort of seen the light, if you will. And it's a little bit better that I'm not around a gym, I'm not around a fitness center, I'm not around to work out stuff. And so it's a luxury for me now where it just used to be a regular thing. So 
um, focusing on that um, and, and finding something that's fun. I recently, in like my photo shows, uh, my, it's my kayak from last fall. Nice. Doing fun stuff like that. I'm just dying to get out on the water, but I'm a little chicken, still a little cold here. So Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> 53 on May 25th is not exactly exactly the spring we're talking about here. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, or a mindset, or something of your choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? I would really like to eliminate the tension between professions. Um, I think not just AT and pick another one but between all others you know i i've seen battles between pharmacy and and family practice and family practice and ortho and and nursing and uh physicians and you know you name it there's always some sort of it seems like rivalry or turf war and uh it just uh it's an energy suck. It's absolutely a, a bucket emptying experience to be involved in that. Uh, and I just, I, I just, that's probably my top dislike about the field. It's like, Oh, I just want to dodge those things. Blah. I agree with you there. There's plenty to go around <laughs> in terms of people to care for. Yep. Oh yeah. There's no shortage of patients. Yes. Uh, final question. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? It means caring for others. I like it. Simple. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, um, anything else you want to share? And I had a little blurb that I want to make sure that we got in. Yeah. Um, I would, I, you know, love the opportunity for a little shameless plug uh, for AT's care. Um, Absolutely. You know, it's a NATA sponsored peer to peer um, critical incident stress management program. And that's a lot of words that means ATs taking care of other ATs. Yep. Um, it's not therapy. It only, well, it can happen anytime because, you know, crisis is individual. I mean, if I get a car accident, that could be my crisis and I need some help, but it's someone who's been, you know, in through, if you will, uh, two days in August, or stand out in the rain in, in April uh, and understands what it means to be an athletic trainer who has some extra training and some skills to help another athletic trainer. Um, we're always looking for more volunteers. Uh, there's a state chair. I'm the state chair for Wisconsin, but there's a state chair and a district chair for all our states and districts. So if you're interested, please reach out. And uh, we don't get a ton of call outs, but we definitely want to be there to help our peers and uh, we'll train you for free. So it's all volunteer. Don't won't cost you anything. So we'd love to have more volunteers. Awesome. Appreciate that. And we uh, did a previous episode a while ago with uh, Brittany back off and oven. I can't, sorry, who out of the, out of Nevada, I believe um, about AT's care. So we'll link that awesome. at the bottom of this episode oh, yeah. as well, just so people can go, kind of hear a That's couple of different couple of different perspectives on that so um last one if people wanted to reach out to you or follow you what would be the best way for them to do yeah that? sure uh so my twitter is at hike and woodwork hiking woodwork and it's where i'd rather be hiking and doing woodworking <laughs> and my email is uh m-c-o-l-e-001 at gmail i'm not super tech involved but i definitely follow those too perfect 
Well, thank you for taking the time. Um, I appreciate it. This was a great, for me, even as a, just an adjunct to the Embracing the Awkward talk, just to get a little bit more background on it. And that provides such a great overview of, you know, the athletic trainer's role in mental health. So I really appreciate it. No problem. Happy to help. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you again for checking out this episode of Athletic Train Chat. We hope you enjoyed it, took a lot from it. Uh, we were really excited to talk to Dr. Mark Cole on this and just it's such an always timely topic. Uh, but we again appreciate you for taking the time to listen. Uh, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. We have our Throw a Lifeline program with them. We just got our second one filled and are looking to get that out here soon as soon as all the supplies come in. Uh, the program is to help get emergency equipment to athletic trainers that just don't have the budget for whatever reason to get it and help them care for the patients that they take care of. And so if that's something you'd be interested in helping out with, um, any amount of donation would be welcome. Check it out at athletictrainingchat.com backslash throw a lifeline or clinicallypress.com backslash throw a lifeline. 100% of donations go directly to funding it. As soon as we hit our goal, we get it sent out and Mueller provides the kit for it to all go in. So thank you again to them. Thanks again for listening.